Hey, for those of you that I've yet to meet, my name is Prentice, and uh, I get the privilege uh, to be the lead pastor here at Bethany West Seattle, uh, and I'm so glad that you decided to join us uh, this morning, whether it's in person or whether it's uh, online, or maybe you're going to be watching sometime this week. We're just grateful that you would take a chance, uh, as Hannah said, in participating in a space of worship and asking questions and uh, seeking God in our lives. Uh, and so when Taylor was starting, that's okay. If, if you want to preach, you're welcome to preach too. As Taylor said this morning that we're here and we are worshiping a resurrected Christ, a, a Jesus who died and resurrected. Uh, and I don't know about you, but right when she said that, and I'm not uh, an amen kind of guy myself, but I wanted to shout amen. Uh, and I know that might be unusual here at Bethany West Seattle, but I want us to practice something. Uh, thank you. The whole idea of saying amen is just an, it's an expression that says, well, in the Greek, the word amen means verily, truly. It's being in agreement with what is being said. And so... Uh, I want to just remind us that we do worship and we come here and as we, as we prepare it to talk about uh, this idea of prayer, we're praying to a resurrected Christ. And as I remind us of that, if you agree with that, as a congregation, would you say amen? amen. Thank you. But we're here and we pray and we seek Jesus who died on a cross and resurrected on the third day, which is what Easter is about. And so we worship, we sing to, we pray upon, we gather for a resurrected Jesus. I hope we can all agree with that. If not, that's also okay. And my hope by the end of today is that you get a glimpse of what it means to pray. And so we continue our series called Teach Us to Pray. We're in week four, I believe, and we get to this part of the prayer that, said, that says, uh, Jesus, give us today our daily bread. Jesus, give us today our daily bread. And so let me just read that whole passage for the, for the entire context of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and really, it's the disciples' prayer that the Lord is teaching the disciples to pray. Uh, and the word of the Lord says this, This then is how you and me, followers of Jesus, should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, which we talked about a few weeks ago, about approaching God, who is a creator of all things, and at the same time, our Father, who is intimately close to us. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as Pastor Megan spoke about last week. Give us this day, the next verses, give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And again, the bold is from me. Give us today our daily bread. Let's pray. God, thank you that you give us today our daily bread, what we need. And first and foremost, what we need is you, the resurrected Jesus, the kingdom of God, something that is yet to come but with us right now. 
And that is what we need to, to, to live, not just live, but to survive, not just to survive, but to thrive in life. You are what we need to breathe, to eat, to be in fellowship, for healing, for forgiveness, for transformation, for wholeness. And we thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Now, something that you may or may not know about uh, the Korean culture, uh, the culture that I grew up in, that I identify as uh, being Korean, born of two Korean immigrant parents uh, who, was, uh, who came uh, while my mom was pregnant with me, which is something I just found out about a couple years ago, by the way. So if you haven't done this yet, ask your parents about your birth story. I, I didn't do it for 40 years, and so here we are. But it was an interesting story to, to hear about, but it's also interesting and fascinating to learn about not only the cultural difference, but how we communicate. And, and, and I hate to make my parents sound so unloving because it's not the case, but when I was growing up, I used to be somewhat jealous of my non-Korean or Asian friends where they and their parents would say, oh, I love you so much, sweetheart. Oh, come here, give, give me a hug. And oh, I love you. I'm so proud of you. And, and not to say my parents didn't do that. It just wasn't their uh, primary way of showing love and affection. Uh, and uh, the funny thing is, the way that, uh, and I can only speak for the, the Korean culture and, and tradition, uh, one way that we show love and, and to say, I love you, is actually by asking a question. And, and the question is this, hey, did you eat? Hey, are you, are you hungry? That is the way that oftentimes uh, love is shown and, and given uh, because it does a few different things. It shows that, okay, I'm willing to spend time cooking for you. I'm willing to show this hospitality of inviting you in. I want you not just to feel satiated, but to feel uh, like, you're, like you're being, that you're enjoying something in life, food. And, and so when I went off to college, uh, especially the first two years, go Cougs, uh, yes, thank you. <laughs> I would come home on some weekends. It was about a five-and-a-half-hour drive, five drive, so it wasn't always uh, every weekend. But some of the weekends, I would come home. And, and every time I would let my mom know, especially, she would ask me what I would want to eat when I came home. And same thing for vacations. Uh, and oftentimes, it was a particular meal. It was this Korean-style short rib called kalbi. Maybe some of you know it. And this bone broth soup. Uh, now... I loved when she would ask me what I wanted to eat when I came home, but I felt bad asking for those, those particular food dishes because I knew that it took a really long time to make. The, the, the short ribs needed to be marinated for at least 24 hours. The bone broth needed to uh, stew for, for all day, and it took a lot of time and effort, not, not to mention these little side dishes that is very common in Korean culture that you make individually. And so part of me felt really bad that I would ask and request these food dishes, but a part of me also knew 
that she loved doing it, not only because she loved me, but again, it was a way of not only showing love uh, and support, but it was a way of saying, for me, when I requested that, it was a way uh, uh, for me to say, I still need you. Because there's no way in heck that I would be able to make that. To this day, I, I don't really know how to make it. I just know that it's delicious. And, and so it was my way of saying, Mom, I, I moved out. And, and I'm still doing life alone and with my friends. And, and I'm in this new season of life. But as I come home, thank you for loving me by making this for me. And guess what, Mom? There's still a sense where I still need you. And that's the way that love was shown, at least in my family, in many Asian families. And it's not just Asian families, but I know many of us cook and prepare dishes and, and do things that are generous and hospitable for one another to show love and to show generosity. But again, it wasn't just to show love and generosity and to satiate hunger. It was a way of saying, I still need you. And it was my mom's way of saying, I'm so glad you still need me. And in many ways, prayer works very similarly. Prayer is a confession. Prayer isn't just about asking God for things and to change things. Praying is about confessing our need for a God. I'll put it this way on this slide. Prayer is not only about what God does for us, but about what God does in us. So when we pray, it isn't just this idea of like, God, give me this, give me that, help me with this, help me with that. Although it is, and that's okay, it's also something that happens within us while we are praying. When we pray, even if it's for things and for other people and life, even for ourselves, there's this spiritual thing that is happening within us. It's a confession of saying, God, I need you. God, I can't do this by myself. God, I feel alone, and the only person that can do this for me, to bring me out of this pain, to help my friends, to help what's happening in our society, in our neighborhood, in our world, the only person that can change something is you. When we pray, we are confessing our need for a Savior, for a God. And when we prayed this morning as a staff and as a leadership, there was a sense in me that, God, when we start church and when people start walking into this building, whether through the doors or through our virtual portal, there will be people in here that desperately, and this includes myself in many ways, we desperately walk in here right now, sitting in our seats in desperate need of God. And, and obviously, I don't know everybody's story, but everybody comes here with the story. And maybe you feel overwhelmed with your finances. Maybe there's a brokenness in your relationship. Maybe you are confused as to what the future holds. Maybe you are experiencing a, a sense of inner pain. Maybe it's depression or anxiety or, or, or a, a worthlessness. Maybe it's a diagnosis. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe for yourself or maybe for somebody close to you that you love. Regardless of what it is, many of us, we come into this room in desperate need 
of God. And when we pray, what we're saying is, God, I can't do this alone. I confess to you that I need you. But here's the problem, and I would state there's many problems, but there's three problems that we can boil down prayer to or a barrier to prayer. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, so I won't spend too much time on this. But number one is this. Asking for help is seen as weakness. We live in this Western society that when we ask for help, it's because we're not good enough. It's because we're not strong enough. And maybe we haven't worked hard enough. Maybe we're lazy. But for whatever it is in this very individualistic Western world where there's this myth that says you got to pull yourself up by the bootstrap, and if you don't do that, you're weak, it's very hard for us to approach prayer because a part of prayer, again, is a confession to say, I can't do this alone. God, will you help me? And many of us were afraid to ask for help, even in real life. But Prayer is exactly that. That is the precise point of praying, is to understand and to confess that we can't do life alone. Yes, we need community, we need fellowship, we need friends, we need people in our lives, but we also need God to move. And again, some of you, you're walking into the sanctuary, whether visually or here, online or in person, and you desperately need God, and that's okay. It's okay to say that you can't do it by yourself, because the reality is, no matter what kind of platitudes you read online, or whatever self-help books that they're is out there, not to say they're bad to read. The reality is there's times in our lives that it's so bad, it's so dark, it's so much filled with darkness and despair, only God can do something. So it's okay to ask for help and to pray. God, would you help me? I can't do this alone. That confession is precisely what prayer is. And number two, this is a big one. Number two is that oftentimes we see that prayers aren't answered. God, what is the point of praying when there's still people hurting? And when it says to ask for our daily bread, but yet there's people starving to death still. And and, and I would say this, if you ever run across even a pastor or anyone that tells you that they have the exact answer to why that happens, I would be skeptical. Because there's a point in my life, even as a pastor, to say, I I don't know. And I would even further to say, and I don't like that. It's confusing. It makes me ask questions about God. I don't know about you, but it makes me ask questions about God. And I think that's also... Okay, now there's a a time and place for me to do a whole sermon on what we'd call theodicy. Theodicy is just a theological way of unpacking why evil exists. And there's many reasons why that could be. But here's where I'll leave this question is, A, I don't know the answer to that, and I wish I did. And like you, it confuses me. But but I'll say this. This This is what I like to tell people and myself is that, In this world, hardships will happen. Tragedy will happen. Loss will happen. Grief and lament is a part of our life and our struggle. No one in this room has lived a perfectly happy and joyful life without struggle. 
And, and, and also the point is this, whether you identify as a Christian or not, those same struggles will happen. But for me, if I'm going to go through those struggles and pain and lament and anger, I am so grateful that there is a God that I can pray to that gives me peace that transcends all understanding. That even as a person who walks through pain and despair and darkness, that I don't have to wander hopelessly or pessimistically, but rather I can go through that knowing that God is with me. That whatever is happening is not the end of the story, that we worship a resurrected Christ. Can I get an amen with that? That does something in us. And so pain will happen no matter who you identify as God, even if you don't identify God as God, or you're an atheist, or whatever it is. Pain in our life is going to happen. But if that's going to happen anyways, wouldn't you rather go through it with a resurrected Christ who cares and who hears your prayers and who is with you in some crazy way gives us peace that, that boggles our minds. I know that I do. And thirdly, as we talk about bread, some of us, we have too much bread. Praying and confessing that we need help is, is a barrier. It's a challenge when we just have too much. It's no wonder that Jesus says it's harder for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich person, literally a rich person, to enter into the kingdom of God. Because the confession of I need something or I need you is just not there. I have everything I need. Several years ago, I was, when I was starting my first call as a full-time pastor, I was a youth pastor at Laguna Presbyterian Church. Uh, which is in Southern California. It was after seminary, uh, and it was in Laguna Beach, California. And I'll tell you what, that was probably one of the hardest ministries I've ever had. I've been all over the world. I've worked in inner cities. Uh, while I was in seminary, I was a, a, a youth intern at a church in uh, South Central Los Angeles where there was a lot of need. And when there's a lot of need, it's easy to say, you know what? Those needs can be met by the living Christ. But my next call at Laguna Beach was, hey, I don't need anything. I have everything. That's a harder sell. That's a harder aspect to convince them to say, you know what? Actually, you are in need. But it's hard for you to see that need when you're 16 years old and you're driving a brand new BMW to youth group. And I wish I was exaggerating. I had two of my students who would argue with one another on who had the better BMW based off of the options and other seats and the year and, and all those things. And I was like, man, I, park, I like to park far away. It was, I was driving like an early 90s Honda Accord at the time. I was like, I'm just going to park over here because if I parked here, it would stick out like a sore thumb. And so for many of us, if it's not one of these two, it's the last. We just have too much. We're comfortable. But Jesus, when he says, hey, here is how you should pray. Pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, that will be done. But he says this, ask for bread. 
It's a petitionary prayer. Give us today our daily bread. So I want to focus on what Jesus is, is trying to say that can an- actually answer all of this and more. And, and really, I want to focus on three key words that Jesus says for his people to pray. And the three words are today, give us today. And then he says our daily in bread. Today, daily in bread. When Jesus says, okay, pray like this, pray, give us today. And the word today literally means in in the original language, today. Jesus is saying, hey, disciples, every day when you wake up, know that you are in need of God. It's a daily reminder that Jesus says to to give ourselves as we wake up, as we take our first, uh, as we open our eyes for the first time in the morning, May the first thing we recognize is that today, today, we still need a God. And, and I love that, he used, that Jesus uses the word today because it's not like, you know what? Uh, you might need something every week. You might need something every year. Jesus didn't say you might need something, you know, maybe the first part of your life and then the second part of your life. Jesus says every single day you wake up today you must remind yourself that you need God. That you need God every single day. And secondly, this word daily. This word daily is an interesting one. Because it's, it, it, it sounds a bit redundant, right? When we talk about the word today and daily. Why didn't, why didn't Jesus just say, he, he, here's how you should pray. You should pray, uh, give us today our bread. Or, or why didn't Jesus say, here's how you should pray, give us, our, give us bread on the daily, or daily, give us our daily bread, or give us today our bread. Why is there this redundancy? And, and to understand that, we have to, we have to unpack the word daily for a second. It's different from the word today. You see, when Jesus says, pray today, give us our daily bread, it's literally about today. There's a story in Exodus chapter 16 when the Israelites, they're on this journey out of slavery, out of Egypt, and into Canaan, the promised land. And in their journey, really, traditionally, it says it took them 40 years of wandering to get to point A to point B. There was a moment where they were starving to death, literally starving. And they pray, and they look to, their, they look to their, uh, their leader, Moses, and they say, Moses, why has God brought us out into this desert, promising this place called the Promised Land, only to have us killed by starvation? And so Moses says, well, wait a minute. God didn't do that. So he, as a mediator, goes to God and says, God, people are hungry. What is going on? And God says, okay, I will r- literally rain down food. I'll rain down bread. But here's the stipulation of the bread, God says. Have your people, have the Israelites only take for what they need today. Don't take enough for tomorrow. Don't collect yourself the whole week or for the month. 
Trust that God will provide every day. And so Moses says, I got it. Moses goes to the Israelites. All right, people, I know that you're hungry. There's going to be bread that's going to be flown from the sky like rain. But here's the deal. You can only take enough for today. Don't overcollect. Don't gather more just because you don't trust, because you want control of your future. You want control of your own reality. God says only take enough for today. And so they say, got it. And some of them trusted God and only took enough for today, that day, trusting that God will provide the next day and the next day and the next day without their need to control the outcome. But there are others that ignored that call from God and gathered enough for today, a little bit more for the next day, a little bit more for a few days after that, because they didn't trust and they didn't want to ask for more help. They wanted to do things themselves. There's consequences for that. Uh, if you want to read the whole thing, it's in Exodus chapter 16. But their food rotted, and, and there was bugs and maggots all over it, and then went it's a whole. It was a whole mess because of their distrust. And so while the word today means God says to trust every single day, day by day, God will provide everything you need. So then why use this word daily? The word daily is this Greek word epi epiousios epiousios and the word daily is a weird english translation a better translation would be something like the next day epi the next usius a power of something that happens the next day or something that is to come or uh, the coming day something in the future is what daily means and so a rough translation can mean something like, God, give us today what I need for the next day. God, give us today the things I need for the days to come. Well, that, that wouldn't make sense because in Exodus chapter 16, God literally told them, only collect what you need for today and trust that I'll come through every other day after that. So why would you ask for something today, what you need for tomorrow, the next day, and the next day? Not only that, in the New Testament, Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow brings enough trouble of, of its own. I will provide for that. Don't you worry. You just worry about today. So the rough translation of uh, today, give me something for the future, doesn't make sense. Uh, but to describe what daily means, let me give you a quote by uh, Pope Benedict. And the quote is this. Pope Benedict XVI says, The fact is that the fathers of the church, so the patristic fathers or church fathers, what uh, they're called, were practically unanimous in understanding the fourth petition of bread, give us today our daily bread, of the Lord's Prayer as a, get this, a Eucharistic petition. The church fathers considers the petition for today's bread for the poor, but insofar as it directs our gaze to the Father in heaven who feeds us. 
And so this bread that Jesus is talking, by the way, the reason why we look to church fathers, these are people, patristic fathers, theologians that existed in the 5th and 4th century, is because they were much closer to the time of Greek translations. And so you could uh, imagine a game of telephone, right? When you say one thing to somebody and that person says something to the other person, the longer the line goes, the more they're are chances of, of misinterpretation, and so we try to get back closest as possible to the original conversations uh, and, and the original prayers. And, and so what he's saying, what the Pope was saying, is that the early church fathers understood bread not to only mean this physical food, this substance, but in the lens of the Eucharistic bread. Jesus calls himself the bread of life. When we take the Eucharist or communion, we're actually taking the bread, symbolizing the body of Jesus, the kingdom that is to come. And so, in other words, a better way to translate this, this prayer would be something like this. Jesus is saying, when you pray, pray something like this. Give us today... What is to come? What is that thing that is to come? That is Jesus. That is the kingdom of God. That is what's to come. And so the prayer would be something like, God, give us today your kingdom that is to come. We want a glimpse of heaven right now. It's not just about this, about this physical bread, but it's about this kingdom to come this kingdom of God, Jesus returning. I know that hasn't happened yet, but Jesus, will you give me a glimpse of your kingdom right now, here and now in life? I'll put it this way. It's on the screen. Asking for bread is not just about the food, but about the one who feeds. Asking for bread here in Matthew 6 is not just about asking for food, but it's asking for the one who feeds. God, would you come today? I wake up every single morning in need of a Savior. So God, today would you give me a piece of heaven? I know heaven is something to come. It's in the future. But God, would you bring heaven to my life here and now? Let me tell you another cool word that we see in the Lord's Prayer. It's the word us. It's the word us. Give us. In the Lord's Prayer, there is no give me, God. Or it's not about I or about myself. It's always about this word we or ours or us. And oftentimes in our prayers, we, we forget that. Now, there's, there's nothing wrong with praying for ourselves and, and the things we need to live and to thrive and for healing and for wholeness. But we oftentimes forget to pray for and on behalf of others. And so that prayer on behalf of others might sound something like this. God, my friend is struggling. God, this relationship with my family is so divided. I pray for us. God, would you give me 
uh, give us a glimpse of heaven. And that glimpse of heaven is about forgiveness, about reconciliation, about a softened heart. God, I need a glimpse of your heaven right now, today, in this broken relationship. God, as we, particularly as a church, pursue racial justice, and we see injustices. God, would you bring a glimpse of your heaven, your kingdom to come here right now in this situation so we can be restored and be united and to bring healing and restoration in our neighborhood, in our communities. Amen. God, my, uh, there's people dealing with homelessness and food insecurities. God, would you bring your heaven to earth now and use us and use the community to serve and to help and to feed people that are hungry? I mean, you fill in the blank. You can even pray for yourself. Yes, that is still a thing. God, I'm going through a broken heart right now. God, would you bring your kingdom that is to come, would you bring that now and just overwhelm me with their spirit of healing and transformation and joy that I'm just lacking right now? Would your kingdom come? Last summer, I, I took a trip, and this is just a nod. And March 7th, which, which is obviously past, was the anniversary of what's called uh, Bloody Sunday. In 1965, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., uh, the late John Lewis, and many other uh, protesters were, were protesting uh, voting rights. And what they did was they started in the south, in Alabama. And so what they did was they started in Selma. And some of you have seen the movie Selma. They started in Selma. They gathered at a church to protest equal rights for voting for everybody. And they marched, or they planned on marching, from Selma to Montgomery, the capital of Alabama. And that was about a 54-mile walk, walk, march. And so last year, I went on the civil rights pilgrimage, and one of the stops was to Montgomery and to Selma. I drove from uh, all over the south, but one drive was from Montgomery, so the, the other way, Montgomery to uh, Selma. I got out in, in Selma, and I'll just show you some pictures. This is pictures that I took with my, with my own phone. It was so surreal to walk on this bridge, Edmund Pettus Bridge. That was the beginning point from the march to Selma, cross the bridge, and you get to Montgomery. But they were met with a lot of hostilities. The protesters, were, the, the marchers, were, were met with a lot of hostility and a lot of violence. Hence, Bloody Sunday. They were warned that if you cross that bridge, that you would be met with resistance. Resistance from law enforcement at the time. Resistance from... The, the Ku Klux Klan, resistance from other Christians for causing disruption. And so the next picture is this river, and that's what the bridge went over. And they said if you walked over that river, you would be met with physical violence. And I didn't want to show pictures because there was a lot of violence. I met a man 
uh, and I, actually, I wish I would have shown that picture, where he had a big scar on his head from a baton being sm smacked over his head for, for marching with Dr. King and, and John Lewis. They were met with a lot of violence. They were met with some people dying, hospitalized, and they had to turn back. And, and eventually they did cross over, but the next picture seems like a random picture of just a little grassy patch. And, and what you see on that road is that's the bridge. And when you walk over that bridge, that random grassy patch is where the beatings took place. And if you've seen the movie Selma, you know what I'm talking about. And, I was, and as I was walking across the bridge and walking just around that seemingly random grassy patch, I just envisioned what happened in the 60s during that march. And, and what God convicted me of it, is that it wasn't just for that time, for those people in that time of place. That was actually about me too. That was about us. That was about our community. That's about this world. That was about our country. That was about us. Because of that, catalyzed equal voting rights for everybody. Which then catalyzed the fact that we can sit here, what I would consider as a very diverse church. That catalyzed for me to be able to marry my wife that catalyzed people being able to sit anywhere they want on the bus, that catalyzed laws against discrimination and hate crimes. And so even though at the time I was walking around like, man, what a crazy time. Oh, geez, like I wonder what they went through. What were they thinking? Oh, I'm so grateful for them. But the reality is this was about us. And when we pray this, what we would call petitionary prayer, just know that when we pray, we should be praying on the behalf of the hurting, of the lacking, of the marginalized, of the poor, of the broken, of those experiencing despair, and saying, God, just like you showed up on Bloody Sunday, would you bring a glimpse of heaven so there can be transformation? and healing, and wholeness. And I'll end, I'll end with this quote. I love this quote from Peter Gregg, who wrote this book called How to Pray. He says this about prayer. From the first day of creation to the last chapter of Revelation, Scripture describes God breaking in invading space and time, interrupting and disrupting the laws of nature. I love that. There's something so unexplainable about the kingdom of God, the, the Jesus who is yet to come, but yet is in the presence and in the business of making a difference in our lives. Last week, Maria and I, we were on a baby moon to Mexico. And, and the first day, I was so frustrated because I, I went in with this, like, shoulder injury from working out. And, 
And it was in so much pain that it was just impossible for me to be present. And, and I remember just complaining. And I just were thinking, I felt so bad because we we're in this baby moon to get, getting away, enjoying the sunshine. There were so many good things happening, eating good food. And yet here I was just like down and out and just complaining about my shoulder, just be really grumpy with a bad attitude. And I remember that night we were laying in bed and I just asked Maria to pray for me. Would you just pray for my shoulder? And she's like, okay. And so for a couple of minutes, she was just literally praying over my shoulder that there would be actual healing, that whatever's happening in my shoulder, that the, 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 the kingdom of God, what is yet to come, would invade and disrupt the laws of physics, biology, whatever was happening, intervene and bring about actual physical healing. And believe me, if you've talked to me about faith, my faith, for better or worse, is very cerebral. I get worship out of studying, out of original language, out of context, out of historicity. And yet there was something to that prayer where I woke up the next day. I wasn't 100%, but I was enough where I was like, wow, like I'm feeling pretty good. And I hadn't felt that kind of relief for days and it wasn't gradual. It was literally the next day I felt very different in my shoulder. And I can only attribute it to the prayer where God intervenes and heals. And again, it wasn't 100%. I would say this. Another way that God answered the prayer was, yes, it was physical healing, but it was in many surprising ways. I had a, had a fanny pack on that went across my shoulder. And I was like, oh, man, my shoulder hurts, and I need to wear this. And Maria says, well, what if you put your arm through the fanny pack, through the, the strap, and use it as a sling? And I was like, that'll never work. I put it through an instant, just like relief. And I was like, that's brilliant. Thank you for that. And, and, and I attribute also maybe, yes, God gave Maria brilliance, but also other avenues of something that I never thought about to find relief. God works in crazy ways. And so let me just do this. As, as we invite the worship team back up, what if we entered into a moment of petitionary prayer, praying the way that Jesus asked us to pray? Pray today, give us our daily bread. In other words, God, today, right now, would your kingdom to come invade in the life of blank? Is it yourself? Are you here needing of healing, of restoration? Is there a broken relationship? Is there a struggle in the world right now that you're just broken over and you're thinking, well, you know what? One person can't make a difference. Guess what? One person, I'll just be honest with you, probably can't. But a collective prayer to God, the creator of the universe, can absolutely disrupt what's happening in our world and make a difference. Maybe you're wrestling with an ache, physical, mental, emotional. Because remember, praying for bread, daily bread, is not just about the food, but it's about the one who feeds. God, 
more than just the food, although that is very important, and may we be the catalyst of answering that prayer for others. It's about God, the one who feeds. Would you make a difference? Would you invade? Would, you, would your kingdom come into my life, into somebody else's life? What if we just all bow our heads right now and close our eyes and just... Ask the Spirit to even think of names. Maybe it is your own name. Maybe it's somebody else's name. We pray for heaven to come right now over those names. praying this prayer isn't just about us although it is about us but it's also about one another audacity to pray over the wars that are happening in the world, over racial unrest, over political unrest. And we have the audacity to pray for divisions in our own families. It's something I need to be praying for myself. we have the audacity and the belief to pray for those experiencing homelessness and poverty and food insecurity in our own city. And be careful when you pray that because God might answer that prayer through you. And we have the audacity to pray for the kingdom of God to invade our own depression and anxiety. That could mean a spiritual and instant healing. That could mean opening yourself up to help, support from friends, from family, from therapy, even medication if that's right. God answers prayers in in unique and different ways for each and every one of us. As I wrestle through my own anxiety, I'm thankful that I've experienced good therapy myself. I'm personally thankful that God enabled certain medications in my life to correct some things that are happening chemically in my own body. I'm thankful that there was healing in my own body and my shoulder. resonate with any of that, would you just pray it? 
Because when we pray, we're confessing that we can't do it alone. That we need a Savior. And we don't have to wait to go to this place after we die. That place comes to us today. My challenge for all of us today and this week is to wake up every morning and pray a simple prayer with the words starting with, God, I need you. God, I need you. God, thank you for today. We thank you for daily bread, your kingdom that invades our life right now, here and now. And you know that many of us, we need that so desperately. We thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your healing. We thank you for what is to come. And may we walk around with hope and joy and a peace that transcends all understanding. In your name we pray, amen and amen. Let's end with worship.